the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron. Welcome back to the show, folks. It's another great day here at the Australian International Air Show at Avalon Airport. We spent this morning with the uh, drone racing teams and recorded a number of chats regarding drone racing, military drone racing, and what it is to compete. We also then wrap up the episode with a chat with uh, one of the people on the team that has built a sovereign drone of about $50,000 for ISR work. So with that, let's get into it. Wing Commander Karen Joyce, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, ADM. I'm really uh, excited to be here at the Drone Zone. I know, right? It's the Circus of Drones and the Circus Tent. We've got a full race set up behind us. Can you tell us about the inspiration for this event? Well, I guess, number one, it's the biggest circus tent we can hire in Australia. <laughs> so we've uh, we've truly gone and got the, the biggest flying space we can and, and we've made the biggest, fastest track that we can. Look, the inspiration came from the last air show that we did in 2019. We had a, we had a circus tent half that size. Um, but what we found was, uh, you know, kids love drone racing. And for the public days at the last air show, the grandstand was packed. And we had kids five or six deep um, at the tables. Uh, all the kids love watching the action. They love watching the pilots rebuilding their aeroplanes. They love watching the crashes. <laughs> And uh, so we went bigger this time uh, because the, you know, we want to have those conversations with the kids. We, what we do is everything STEM, you yeah. know, we design aeroplanes, we build them, we solder, we code. So at the end of a race meet, everybody will go home, they'll download their videos, they'll cut a really sick video together and they'll put it on Snapchat and Instagram. These are the kind of skills that we want in defense, right? And it's not just about trying to talk to people about being a drone pilot. Um, It's talking to them about being radio operators, about being mechanics, about being avionics technicians, about being multimedia techs. All of those skills are really applicable to defense and defense industry as well. But, so it's great for getting the kids in and getting them hooked, which is always a wonderful thing, getting them into STEM and so on. But it's not just the young kids, you know, like 18 to 20 year olds that we're seeing here. There's some uh, slightly more closer to my maturity and so on. Uh, yep. they're, they're not all young chickens, as this phrase goes, uh, out there playing. So the people racing are from a broad spectrum of ages. Absolutely. It's a, it's a sport for all ages, and I think that's also a real big thing about this sport, right? So we, we like to say that it's like a motorsport for anybody anybody can get into this motorsport and I think that's really great um, because all you need is your goggles and your thumbs even people that might have physical disability or or things like that they can all get into the cockpit of an aerobatic airplane and feel like they're pulling Red Bull air race maneuvers (laughs) right and uh, and I think that's equally applicable from a 12 year old who's used to their PS4 controller Mm -hmm all the way up to a 60 or 70 year old who's been doing model aerobatics for 50 years. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, it's, a, it's a very inclusive sport. Except in this case, you've got the goggles strapped to your head. You're seeing as if you're on the aircraft, but you're sitting in a chair. So your inner ear is saying, no, I'm not doing that roll. I'm not hitting that pylon or yeah. ca- turning that corner. It takes practice. Yeah. And you'll notice when you look at the pilots, some pilots stand, mm-hmm. some pilots sit, yep. some pilots kind of take a knee. <laughs> um, there's, there's different ways that different pilots approach their, their flying. Yeah. 
from what you've seen, uh, of, of course, you're racing yourself. Uh, I imagine you're also coordinating what goes on, yeah? I mainly stick to the coordination. I'm a horrible pilot. I can't keep up with these guys. Um, look, it's like a, it's like any elite sport, right? Yeah. Any, any person can go out into their backyard and get taught the basics of how to kick a footy. Yeah. Anybody who knows how to drive a PS4 knows how to do the basics of taking off and flying a, flying a course. But getting this good, yeah. it's an elite sport. It takes lots of training. Yeah. And what we see here is the best pilots that we've got uh, from the Australian teams, but as well as the international teams. Um, you know, we've got a deep membership base of many, many pilots. We bring the top five or six to an event like this because we're, we're racing for pride. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not for prizes, it's for pride, right? That's right. <laughs> so you just touched on international. I've seen Army and Air Force. There's a Navy but you've also got a number of internationals here. Can you run through who else? Yeah, sure, so don't forget our cadet team either. So our cadet team arrives today. Um, so we, we've also got the, the younger folk of the Australian Defence Force racing with us from, to, uh, from tomorrow onwards. Fantastic. Um, but uh, from an international perspective, we've got the UK and New Zealand. They're back. Uh, yeah. They have raced with us before at the first ever military international drone racing tournament, which we had in 2018. Uh, so they're back. And, uh, and we've also got Singapore and Indonesia joining us for the first time uh, this year. So we've got five, five, team, five countries. Yep. Uh, that's pretty exciting. It's great to see the, the sport at a you know, military international sports level continue to build. And how's the rivalry going between not just the young and the old, but also the international teams? Oh, the rivalry is hot. <laughs> so, um, so we've got the big trophy, right? So the winning team of those five countries, the military international drone racing tournament champions. Uh, but we also have an Ashes trophy that uh, Australia does uh, count back on scores against the Brits. And we've also got a Trans-Tasman trophy and we've got an inter-service trophy as well for the Australian team. So, yeah, the, the rivalry is there for sure. Fantastic. So, you've mentioned that you're the patron for this event and for the racing within the Australian Defence Force, is that correct? Yep. You also said before we started rolling and interviewing about uh, a clubs, and there's clubs in all the cities, but this is the only drone racing club that is decentralised and yep. covering the whole country. Yeah, so the Australian Defence Force uh, drone racing organisations are decentralised. Our pilots are all over the country, as you'd expect, uh, for you know the likes of defence postings. We've got people from uh, representing today from as far north as uh, Townsville and Tyndall, uh, Catherine in the Northern Territory, all the way down to Melbourne. So uh, we are a decentralised club. We're the only decentralised club uh, that's part of Australian FPV Drone Racing Association. Uh, all the other clubs are based on capital cities, okay. but it's uh, it's a really cool community. So across that organisation, there's two and a half thousand registered pilots, uh, and it's really great to be part of that. Okay. Now, if somebody wants to get into drone racing, who do they contact? What do they look on Google to find a club? Or uh, every club uh, runs a Facebook page. So uh, if you are interested in finding out where drone racing is done in your capital city. Uh, just Google it, Melbourne Drone Racing, Sydney Drone Racing, you'll, you'll bring up their pages. Um, all the clubs do beginner days um, and they, uh, they also run uh, competitions and we kind of go seasonal as well. So in the Canberra Club, for example, um, we do outdoor drone racing in the nice months, but for the significant part of the year where it's really cold, we go indoor and we go down to a subclass of drones called a mini whoop. They're about, uh, they're about oh, three wow. or four inches. Big, and we do it indoors in in restaurants, in museums, in all sorts of places. Oh, wow. um, so, so that's how you get into it. Uh, from a technology perspective, we like to recommend people to kind of 
ease themselves into it. So a simulator, um, you can download simulators and just use your PS4 yeah. controller, right? So that's a really cheap way to get into it. Make sure you know the moves and that you enjoy the sport. Um, but then you get into the mini whoop class, so you can start buzzing your lounge rooms and your dining rooms, chasing your dog and whatnot. Uh, once, you're, once you're really comfortable with that, then you get into the race class aircraft, and that's when you'll start spending you know, $300 on an aeroplane um, and, uh, and getting into the high speed stuff that we do here up to, a, up to 150 kilometers an hour. And is that scale kilometers an hour or real kilometers? No, that's real. Woof. Yeah, okay. they hoof around this track. Okay. And we designed the track so that right along the grandstand there are there is a low straight and a high straight so that the uh, the audience get the full experience of the the high speed <laughs> and sometimes high speed crashes of the of the main straight. Saw a few while we were waiting to shoot and uh, I'm sure we'll get them on the on the camera. So uh, anything else you'd like to say while we've got you here? So just to expand on the last point though, if any defence people want to get into our associations, we also run Navy, Army and Air Force Facebook pages and uh, that is absolutely the easiest way to get in touch with us. Um, it's, uh, it's a great way to get involved in an Army sport or an Air Force sport. You know, not every soldier, not every officer, not every aviator wants to play rugby these days or uh, or play golf on their service teams. A lot of people now uh, want to do drone racing. They want to do esports. They want to do war gaming. Right? All of those associations exist. So um, for all of our military members that might want to do this, just reach out through our Facebook page or our email addresses on the Restricted Network. We'll send you a membership form and we can get you started. Fantastic. Well, Kieran, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Hamish Glover, welcome to the show, mate. Thank you. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Now, you're a pretty speedy drone racer, I, I hear. You've got some uh, yes, yeah, yep. speed records and Currently all Currently right sitting for the Military International in second place Ooh. against a New Zealand pilot, Quato. Okay. He's very quick. Yeah. So, uh, we're doing laps around this track in about 12 or 13 seconds. Yeah. And, um, there's, uh, there's a wide variety of, uh, of range of speed here. So yeah. We've got the 12, 13 seconds and the people who are just trying to do their first lap. People like me who go, where is it? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what got you into drone racing? I just started flying toy drones. So the stuff you bought on eBay yeah. in 2015, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, buy something, fly it at the park. It wasn't first person or anything. And I had a mate at school who wanted to get into it too, and we pushed each other. We just started doing the research. I think we spent a couple of months just looking into what to buy, where to buy it from. Bought all the parts, went through a bunch more questions, figured it all out and started flying and that okay. was it and then from there I got into racing more so this kind of thing here yep. which is uh, much more specialized than what I started flying yeah. it's built just to go fast and then from there I got out of it for a bit in 2019 and I came back into it last year and joined the army team from there it's just blown up now yeah. I'm just I'm doing this all over the place and it's more than the flying it's also yeah. you've got to maintain it's like you're, it's you're huge. you see the race drivers yeah. and they've got an engineer and then they've got a pit team yes. you're it we are everything yeah. yeah so we have to go home after this and, and look at what we're broken figure out sometimes we don't know what we're broken something's not flying pull it apart figure out what's going on there's a lot of troubleshooting going on yep. yeah so it's more than just the yeah. flying but coming back yes. to the flying yeah. okay so like we were just talking before your eyes are telling you you're racing around this yeah. track your inner ear is saying i'm sitting in a chair or standing or whatever yeah. how long does it take to get that i'm accommodating this and i'm used to it now some people it takes a while. For me, I think maybe something to do with being younger, it is easier. Uh, I pretty much was able to pick it up and I didn't feel sick or anything when I started. Some people it takes a while, some people can only do it sitting down. Yep. Um, some of us can just stand up and do it just fine. 
problem when you're standing up and racing is you start to lean with it sometimes and you get a bit wonky. So I've moved to sitting down now where I used to stand up. And uh, you're hearing a lot of different things in the ears. So you've got commentary going on here. You've got other quads in the air. So it's not just this one, you've got four others in there. So sometimes you, you have to push out the other noise and you're trying to hear what's going on with yours. Uh, if you've broken something, you'll hear it sometimes before you see it. And if you hear someone else that's broken theirs, that's got a propeller missing or something, you sometimes can get a bit confused about what's going on. So yes, you are processing a lot of inputs wow. at once. So you're, you're really locking in and, and you have to yeah. total concentration, you know, focus yes, and all that. Absolutely. It's it's weird watching the video from afterwards. You look at yourself flying and I go, wow, that was quick. But while you're in it, it feels quick, but you're kind of, you're processing everything, you're trying to slow it down and you don't realize how fast it is while you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you're having to adjust the whole time to actually make the round and not crash at the pace I'm trying to go. <laughs> it's pretty quick. So uh, let's run through the gear you're carrying and uh, you've, you know, Clearly, the goggles, yeah, yeah. the antennae, welcome to your planet, uh, but the gear and the controller that you've got now. Uh, let's start at the, at the aircraft. Yeah, sure. So this is, as I mentioned before, it's a specially designed racing drone. Yep. So there's a few different kinds of these you can build for different purposes. The idea of this is lightweight, but still durable, so it can handle a crash. So you've got four motors, four propellers. In here, there's a, a flight controller that tells it all what to do and a speed control that takes the battery power and sends it out to the motors so it can actually run them. You've also got some of the most important things in there. You've got a camera at the front and a video transmitter. So that transmits back to the goggles so we see exactly what that camera lens there sees. So where's the antenna for the camera? The antenna is this oh, little wow. guy back here. Okay. So it's, uh, it's in a 3D printed mount yep. so that keeps it nicely in place. Uh, the cameras are also in a 3D printed mount there. Yep. So there's tons of different ways to mount these. It just depends on what frame you've got. You can get lots of different ones out there. Uh, and it's all a personal preference kind of thing. And then the battery tucks underneath the bottom. Yeah, so the battery will go on there where you've got this lead here yeah. and it plugs into there. And exactly. the velcro holds it in place. Exactly, that's nice. your battery. Yeah, and then you've got a little receiver in here which goes back to the transmitter. So that's a fairly simple thing. This sends your commands to the receiver. The receiver sends it off to the flight controller and the flight controller interprets those commands and tells the motors what to do. And as, as in a normal, it looks very much like a standard RC controller with a few extra switches. It is, switches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this can, can fly RC planes, uh, yep. micro quads. It can really fly anything you want, exactly. And instead of controlling servos and an engine and all that, yeah. it's controlling four and the different uh, Precisely. speeds of the rotors gives you your pitch angles and everything. That's it, yes. Yeah. So, so you've got your your roll, yep. your pitch, your, your throttle, and your yaw, and that's exactly on a quadcopter, yep. that's it's translating to these movements you see. Yeah. Cool. And now for the headgear. So yeah. you said it's transmitting yes. video back to you. So I imagine you're not getting super high def 4K yeah, watching Yeah, that's, that's right. So yeah, a lot of people coming into this, they think it, we see high resolution, but this is an analog system here, and what we see is fairly low resolution. There's a lot of break up often, especially in environments where there's a lot of other Quads racing, metal objects are pretty rough on video too. Um, there's some new systems out there like a DJI and HD0 that are doing digital video where you might get a bit better quality, sometimes at the expense of latency. So yeah. the reason we've run this for a long time is no one could match the latency of this gear. Gotcha. We want to see exactly what that quad's doing as soon as possible. We want the lowest possible latency, and that's what analog delivered. So like the old days of analog phones, where you'd still hear what they were saying, even if they sounded like a Dalek, yeah. but now with digital, you get bah, bah, and you that's get interruptions right. and total so loss. So we'll see, yeah, until there's no video left, we're still seeing something, yeah. and we can, sometimes it's pretty bad, but you learn to fly through it. Okay, so you've got two antennas on the on the headset. Yeah. Uh, one is a backup, or...? Uh, 
Kind of. So it's a, it's a diversity setup, so it'll actually pick the one that's getting the strongest feed. Okay. So if one antenna is weaker than the other in its reception, it'll switch to the other receiver. Okay. So in that way, it's kind of a backup. I can take one of these off and it'll work perfectly fine. But then if that antenna would have been picking up something better, I won't have that benefit. Now for the inevitable question. You have got the front row gorgeous view seats as it smashes into something in the ground. Yes, yes for sure. Do you ever get used to that? Yeah, I think so. You get a lot more comfortable with it. Crashing is something you really have to learn with these because if you crash in a race and you're able to avoid actually stopping the quad, if you're able to keep flying off that crash, then you're going to be able to get up a lot quicker. If you avoid getting stuck in the grass, you're already, you're already up for a better chance, right? So you get used to bouncing off something and flipping upside down and that. You get used to quick recovery, so I might do a, a quick flick of the, the roll stick to try and recover it uh, and see how quickly I can get back in the air. If you're stuck on the ground, they have a thing called uh, turtle mode or flip over after crash, which is if you're upside down, it can reverse the motors. So that's what this here does. Mm -hmm. It keeps two of the motors out of the grass. If you don't have this and the grass is tall, these will not spin. They'll be in the dirt in the grass. So it keeps it out. You have two motors up. You flip it back over, try and take off again. Sometimes you'll see people out there who are taking ages trying to get up. There's 30 seconds on the ground, rolling around, trying to get back up. Any chance they can get to either finish a race or just get more laps in, more practice time. Yep. Yeah. Okay, and how long does the race go for? About two minutes. Okay. Yeah, so a, a race will usually be a certain number of laps you have to complete. If it's a short track, it might be four or five laps. If it's a longer track, it might only be two or three laps, just depending. The aim is to go for about a minute and a half to two minutes because our batteries will run out after that. Good point. Yeah, a very short battery life. That's okay. what happens when you are, you're drawing <laughs> over a thousand watts on high throttle. Yep. You're drawing a heap of power and these little batteries, they can only sustain that for a couple of minutes. Yep. Now you're also Army Reserve is my understanding, yes. so you've got yeah. a day job. Uh, yes. And what's, what's your day job? Yeah, so I've just finished studying uh, cybersecurity and criminology for four years. I'm going into work in cybersecurity. Going into that, staying in the Army Reserve and drone racing. Looks like you've got a hell of it's, a future. It's going to be, yeah. There's a lot going on. Uh, I'm just taking all the opportunities I get. Yeah. Right. Don't miss out on anything. So Fantastic. if I can do it, if I can get to an event like this, I'll be here. Yep. Have you, now the last question, have you ever been up in a real aircraft or done real aerobatics mm. with people? Has anyone No, I'd love to. Yeah. No, commercial airlines is as far as I've gone. Okay. I haven't actually been in a, in a private plane or anything like that before. <laughs> uh, do done aerobatics, I'd love to. Yeah. yeah. No, if, I, if anyone gives me the opportunity, I'll take it, obviously. Okay. I'm sure there'll be people around here that you can meet. Yeah, I'll have a chat to someone. Yeah. Getting a fighter jet. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Claudia Crow, all the way from New Zealand, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. Okay, so you're here drone racing, representing the New Zealand Air Force? Yes. Alright, what got you into drone racing? Oh, I got into drone racing back in 2013, so a long time ago now. Um, I used to work for an electronics company um, that worked out of uh, South Auckland in New Zealand. Um, and yeah, they used to import all these um, little toy drones they used to fly around. Some of them only about this big, some of them much bigger, um, and would fly them around the mall. Um, and pretty much I was just hooning it around there, buzzing around people's heads. Um, and then out of nowhere, someone came up to me and was like, hey, you, you're doing pretty good. Have you ever heard of drone racing? I think it was called Rotocross back then, but it's yes. things changed yep. and evolved. Um, and so I got into it and I flew for about three years um, and then sold all of my kit to fund a trip overseas. <laughs> uh, and then came back and never really got back into it. So I've had a six-year hiatus from it. 
Um, and then, yeah, just got back into it. My first flight was actually on Tuesday. So oh, wow. uh, it's been a steep learning curve to get back into it. But, oh, man, yeah. I have missed the sport. It's so good. <laughs> and so, what role are you doing as the day job with Defence? Uh, I do a lot of mission support stuff. But I'm on holdover at the moment waiting for training. So I get to go off and do cool stuff like this. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so you've just picked it back up on Tuesday after a long hiatus. How was it getting back in the groove? So getting your, your headspace and your stomach all working properly so you're not sitting there getting queasy and things like that. How, how'd you go about working back into it? Did you start slow, go fast? Did you just do straight and level before you got back into racing? Or uh, It's a little bit like riding a bike. Um, although, unfortunately, my brain knows where I want the drone to go, but my fingers are struggling <laughs> to keep up. So... Um, day one, I was pretty much just, um, you know, going around the track real nice and slow. Um, on the cameras here, they have different angles. So um, the more steep your angle, pretty much the faster you fly because it tilts like this. So I started with a very shallow angle to start off with um, and then gradually increased it, built up the speed and break a few props and <laughs> here I am. So, so you're over here all the way from uh, New Zealand. You're a long way from home for repairs and everything. How much gear did you bring with you? Is it just the one drone with a lot of spare parts or did you bring multiple drones? Um, I brought two with me um, and one of them I've now started to cannibalise a little bit. <laughs> um, but I'm here with a really fantastic team of um, army guys at the moment. So um, between us we brought over two bags each roughly um, and inside those suitcases we brought all sorts of things that we might need um, and we just share between us, um, get each other up in the air. It's really a team sport at the end of the day. Yeah, Going through these repairs yourself, it's um, it could be quite hard. So you need people around you to support you and work through all the diagnosis side. Yeah. Did you cop any hassles going through with any of this in your check luggage? You know, like, what the heck is this? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, um, they, they didn't have too many questions about this. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but yeah, the LiPo batteries and stuff, you have to carry them on exactly. that um, carry-on yeah, luggage. So. Goes, oh. Yeah, always questions on those, but no, yeah. it's all right. As long as you follow the protocols, it's, it's all good. Yeah. Cool. And uh, how are you going in the standings? Oh, terribly. <laughs> no, no, I'm going fine. I'm just enjoying it at the moment and just yep. getting back into it. But um, I've, I've qualified, so I've yep. done my three laps and I've done them pretty fast and consistently. So I'm happy with how I'm doing, but um, it'll take me a couple of years. Maybe the next Avalon and I can compete with Hamish over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. give him a run for his money. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really no. appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Aircraftman John Amoroso, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Right, we're standing here next to the uh, Wanderer within earshot of the uh, drone racing tent. Uh, thus the background noise, guys, if you'll hear it coming on and off. But uh, this is a, an interesting aircraft. It's a, it's a drone. It's uh, got a, like a standard uh, blended wing kind of look. Tail fins on the, on the end of the wingtips. Nice little engine and a really good looking uh, infrared optical, what they call it, electro-optical infrared gimbal on the nose. But it's all built here in Australia, isn't it? Yeah, uh, the whole project's sovereign built, so it's uh, between RAF and DSTG, and so it's all built up at Adelaide. Right, so what was the inspiration? Was it a few folks going, hey, let's have some fun and build an aircraft, or was there a particular intent behind it? Uh, the intent was to build a sovereign, low-cost, uh, rapid manufacture, flexible drone. So basically the platform costs approximately $50,000 to make, and so that's very cheap compared to previous models and what we have in the air at the moment <laughs> yes very cheap compared like yeah seeing some of these other ones that are here it's like okay so fifty thousand dollars might get you ooh, i think a wing mm. yeah <laughs> or a pencil cup holder in one of uh, the... well yeah so the idea was to have a sovereign build fifty thousand 
relatively easy to take out somewhere, fly it, and if you lose it, well, you know, it's annoying. Yeah, and all the parts, like the fiberglass casing, it's easy to replace or repair compared to other platforms where you'd have to bring something in and it could take months to get it on the air again. How long were you in development with it? Um, so it took two months for the project to go from paper to the current stand we have now. And currently the rate of production is six every two months. Okay, let's step back a second. What's its typical mission? Is it like forward deployed? Is it at an airfield? Whereabouts are you using it? Um, it's typically used for ISR. Um, however, it can do flexible missions with joint force. Okay, so chuck it in the back of the truck, take it out somewhere, launch it, see what's happening over the hill, that kind of thing. Exactly, and um, it uh, increases persistence. So since it's unmanned, you can have multiple going out and you're not tasking the crew. And uh, what is its typical loiter uh, staying aloft time? Uh, its typical loiter time is 14 hours um, and it can go up to 700 nautical miles at a ceiling of 5,000 feet. Okay, that's well beyond visual line of sight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I guess it's, uh, so if it goes out 700 miles, hangs out there for 10 hours and then comes back, yeah? Uh, yeah, exactly. And then you can have them on rotation. So we have multiple platforms at the moment, about seven. So you'd be able to have two or three rotating through so what's your kind of controls for it? Is, it? is it somebody sitting at a laptop? Is it somebody with a drone controller? Is it, you know, what, what are we looking at here? Um, so it's human on the loop rather than human in the loop. So that means that it's semi-autonomous. Um, so you can just set up some waypoints and it'll travel there. But you can have a person at a um, ground station, like an operator, and he'll be able to change the course or control it mid-flight if you need to. But it's all done by mouse and keyboard setting up the new waypoints and yeah, things like that. Yeah, nice. exactly. And nice. it's all autonomous from that point. And to launch, to recover, is it, uh, does it have a trolley or a, um, a catapult launch? Um, so it uses experimental car launch, so the car goes to approximately 85 kilometres an hour. You just have the platform on the roof of the car and it'll take off itself. And then um, to land you have um, landing skids that you velcro onto the bottom. And so when it lands flat it'll cause friction on them mm -hmm. instead of damaging the platform itself. Nice. Okay. And uh, so 85 kilometres an hour, I know I can get up that reasonably quickly, but uh, I think there's, there's going to need to be a nice wide open field like this. It's not like you'd go and hide behind a hill and then launch it. So you're, you're, you're not going to be right up the, the front, so to speak. You're going to be, as you said, 700 mile range, so you're going to be a bit further back. Yeah, not currently. Um, so car launch is the main testing platform, but um, there may be other ways in the future. But with the range that it has, it's quite easy to make up for having to be a bit further back. So you're going to have multiples going out, one on station, one coming back, one going out, that kind of thing. But is it just working on its own or are you working it with other, uh, other operators, other, other groups and platforms and things like that? Yeah, it can be used to enhance the effectiveness of other platforms and it can work in joint missions with all three services. Um, but otherwise it can work independently, so it's very flexible in what it can do. Okay. If it's working with multiple platforms and so on, I'm guessing that uh, the feed that comes back to the operator station also gets sent back to base. Yeah, that's correct. So it can do data link through uh, VHF, UHF, Wi-Fi, SATCOM and GSM, and it can transmit that directly while flying. Okay, and before we wrap up, we've talked about the, uh, the range, loiter time, that kind of thing, but let's get some meaty bits. How much does it weigh? And, and What's its wingspan, that kind of stuff? Yep, uh, it has a wingspan of four metres and it weighs 36 kilos fully fueled. Um, it has a payload of two kilos and so at the moment that's the current sensor that we have on the front. And um, it also uses a four-stroke fuel injector for the engine. Nice. 
So it's just running on standard MoGas, like for, that you put in your car? Yeah, just standard. Uh, it uses an engine basically that you'd use for like remote control drones, that sort of thing. Okay, so the same fuel that you put in the vehicle that gets it out there can be used in the drone? Yeah, exactly, and that helps with costs and efficiency. Sounds fantastic, 50,000, all sovereign, built between Air Force and DSTG, so great stuff. So the next question is, when are we likely to see this being deployed? Uh, we're likely to see it being operatable by mid-2023, uh, so this year, um, and we should have a bunch more out by then. Okay, well, uh, John, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, there you go, folks. Drone racing, it's a thing, and it's really incredible. Well worth checking out, and perhaps something you might want to get involved with. But for now, that's it for our daily episodes. We may have some more content later on from Avalon, but for now, wrapping up and uh, going off to watch some jets, I'm Grant McCarran. Thanks for listening. The ADM Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a YEFA media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.